Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 50. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today I have a special episode for you. Imagine if you decided for one full year to interview 50 people once a week who also happens to train in jiu-jitsu to share their failures, their successes, the mindset and habits of successful high performers, plus they share valuable content on entrepreneurship, personal development, and jiu-jitsu with you. Do you feel that you would be able to learn a lot and grow from this experience? Well, that is exactly what I did for the past 50 episodes. The BJJ Mental Coach podcast is completing one year, and I decided to share with you some highlights of this journey of the 50 episodes so far. As you already know, if you have been listening to the podcast, I have some key questions that I ask the guests, and today our team chose six inspired answers from different guests to share with you, plus two final thoughts. It was not an easy task because there were so many answers to inspire impact and improve your life in some way, but we had to make the difficult cut, and I hope you enjoy refreshing some of the interviews. Before you get to listen to the six answers and find out who made to the cut, I want to share with you how the podcast came about. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a negative situation in your life that you're able to turn into a positive? Think about it. Well, the creation of the podcast was inspired by a negative event in my life that I managed to turn into a positive. Matter of fact, that was the title of the episode 14 with Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, Mikey Gomez. And at the end of the interview, during my final thoughts, I shared with you my takeaway from the interview, and I explained the story that inspired me to start the podcast. I'm going to play this clip right now, and I'll be right back to share with you what one of our first guests answered how jiu-jitsu show up in his life. Oh, Let me share with you my final thoughts from Mikey Gomez's interview. It was interesting to hear Mikey sharing about a few topics that we have talked in previous podcast episodes, like his routine driven the same way Tim Crater shared on episode three with the morning rituals of successful entrepreneurs or about personal responsibility like Flavio Meadow shared on episode four and last but not least the importance of being obsessed the healthy obsession with your goal like the Hall of Famer Bernardo Faria shared on episode six called obsessed for success I'm not sure what your takeaway was but mine was how to turn a negative situation into a positive situation like the title of the podcast how many times in your life were you able to turn a negative situation into a positive situation? If you stop to think about it and you look inside and reflect, most likely you did in different moments of your life. Mikey mentioned during his interview how he struggled with his asthma attacks. Countless sleepless nights wondered, Dude, am I going to make it? It feels like I'm dying. Due to his asthma, he developed claustrophobia. However, jiu-jitsu training helped him to deal with this phobia. Since he was a teenager training with grown men, very often he would be smashed or put into tough positions, as you already know that happened in jiu-jitsu. And at the beginning, he would panic in these compromised positions. Then eventually he started to think, man, if I can survive my asthma attacks, I can survive here. And eventually he would get tired and I'll find my way out. And he kept doing it and his confidence grew and he was able to transfer this thought process in different areas of his life. And he was able to turn the negative situation of dealing with the asthma and his phobia into a positive situation. And jiu-jitsu was the main tool that helped him to overcome that fear. And this is just one example of millions of stories of people turning negative situation into a positive one. It could have been a tournament that you lost or a job you got fired, a relationship that ended, or a health-related issue. Regardless of the severity of the situation or how long it took you to overcome this challenge, there are three crucial steps to shift your mindset completely. And I'm going to break down for you how you can start utilizing these three steps right away in your life. The first step is acceptance. He's in said and done, but when you accept that what happened to you was a fact, 
in this fact or event cannot be changed, only a response to the fact can be changed, you're taking the first step of acceptance. I'm going to share with you a quick minor example. On April 13th, 2018, I was training my academy, Jiri Jiu-Jitsu, in Tempe, Arizona for the Abu Dhabi World Pro Championship, and it was taking place in the UAE on April 27th, exactly two weeks away from the tournament, and we're doing single-leg live training. For those who are not familiar with this, basically, you defend a single-leg attack and try to break away while your partner attempts to finish the takedown for about a minute, and then when time's up, switch positions and go again, and you can make as many rounds as you want. But during my last round, I got taken down, bounced back up, and my partner shot a double leg with me. I was kind of sideways, so as soon as it took me down, I ended up hurting my foot as I was going down, and I turned my body like, ah, and ended up posting my right arm, and I dislocated bad, man. That was the third time, by the way that I have dislocated my arm. At least this one's the first time in my right arm. But if you have injured yourself in jiu-jitsu or any other sport, you know how much it sucks, man. It's I, I was sad, disappointed at the hospital. But as soon as I left, I thought, you know what? This is the fact. I, I got injured. And the fact cannot be changed. Only my response to the fact can be changed. I won't be able to compete. I won't be able to train for a long time. What should I do with my extra time? That when the second step came in, which is taking responsibility for change. In this case, taking responsibility for changing this negative situation to a positive situation, which I did. I thought, you know what? I've been thinking about starting a podcast for a long time, and this is the perfect time to do it. So I signed up for a podcast course, Bust My Butt, and in 30 days, I had the very first episode of the BJJ Mental Coach podcast with the show you wrote, CEO Vince Kirugua. Now, let me ask you this. Did you turn any negative situation to a positive situation this year? I hope you did. But if some reason you haven't, I hope these final thoughts can inspire you to accept that the fact cannot be changed and you only you can make this shift and it's not what happens to you it's what you do about it this is just a quick example how you can shift your mindset in minor incidents like that or you can apply major ones which is much more challenging and require a higher level of emotional resilience but before i share with you the third step i would like you to imagine a rough and tragic scenario imagine in your mid-20s you're healthy things are going well, and then you have a near-death experience. Suddenly, you suffer a tragic motorcycle accident that causes explosion and burns 65% of your body. You accept the fact it would take full responsibility for changing, and in a few years later, you suffer another devastating accident, and you injure your spinal cord, leaving you paralyzed from the waist down. Would you have the emotional resilience to accept the fact to take responsibility to change your mindset again? And you might ask, Gustavo, is there anyone that would have the emotional resilience to overcome that? And the answer is yes, and his name is W. Mitchell. As a young man, Mitchell served as a U.S. Marine, and at the time of his first injury, Mitchell was a grip man on a cable route in San Francisco. Also, he had just completed his first solo aircraft flight. And he was burned over 65% of his body on July 19, 1971, when a laundry truck turned in front of the, his motorcycle he was riding in San Francisco. His face and hands were, like, done. His fingers were, like, completely burned, and he lost most of each of his 10 fingers. By the way, in 1971, if you were burned over 70% of your body, you were definitely dead. He later on won $500,000 settlement in a lawsuit against Honda because the gas cap on his bike was deemed faulty for having fallen off during the accident and caused the explosion. On November 11, 1975, he crashed on takeoff in a small aircraft he was piloting due to ice on the wings. And as he crashed, as soon as he crashed, the, his first thought was, oh my God, this is going to explode. And he's just thinking about explosion and just screaming to everyone, get out, get out of the plane. And he removed his seatbelt and then tried to get out, and he couldn't. He couldn't get up. He injured his spinal cord, but his other passengers escaped injury-free. But the NTSB, which is the National Transportation Safety Board investigation, indicated that the accident was due to his failure to detect the thin layer of ice on the wings during the, his 
pre-flight inspection. What would you do? Would you have the strength to accept the fact and take responsibility on changing and turning the negative situation to a positive situation again? Honestly, I really don't know if I would be able to do it. But he did. In 1977, he was elected mayor of a city in Colorado, eventually became a radio host and a motivational speaker who was inducted in the Hall of Fame of Public Speaking. As a matter of fact, that's how I heard about him, and I had the owner to meet him three years ago. I was at the NSA, the National Speakers Association Convention in Phoenix, Arizona, assisting my mentor, Joe Weldon, who is 76 years old in 2018, and he's also in the Hall of Fame of Public Speaking. During interviews, he was holding only with Hall of Fame speakers. And I had the privilege to be in the same room with my mentor, the cameraman, and him. And man, he blew me away. And as I share this with you, I I literally have goosebumps and get me a little emotional because that's when I learned about the third step to shifting from the negative to a positive, which is be grateful for your life. We talked for a while after the interview, and he told me, yeah, send me your email. I'm going to send a copy of my book. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it, taking responsibility for change. To have an idea how amazing and inspired this guy is, the foreword of the book is written by the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. If you're not familiar with him, the nation's top life and business strategist. And he said, W. Mitchell has refused to be overcome by two life-threatening and life-changing accidents, which, if given the power could have ruled his life to its end. Instead, he decided to make the tragedies that befell him a starting point. When he says, it's not what happens to you in life, it's what you do about it, you can be sure he is a living, breathing example of the message to us. He shared with me that an attitude of gratitude allows us to move forward positively in any situation. And gratitude shifts our focus from things we lack to what we already have. And in his book, he mentioned, before I was paralyzed, there were 10,000 things I could do. Now there are 9,000. I can either dwell on the 1,000 I've lost or focus on the 9,000 I have left. Now Mitchell is 73. He lives in Santa Barbara, California, and maintains a second home in Hawaii. Let me ask you this. What are you focusing on? Are you focused on what you've lost or what you have left? And how many things can you be thankful today? If you're going through a rough time in your life right now, I totally get it, man. But do the best you can with the tools and knowledge you have right now to accept the fact, to take responsibility for changing, and to be grateful so you can focus on what you have, not what you don't have. I hope you enjoyed the final thoughts from Mikey Gomez's interview. Hopefully, you're not dealing with any negative situation in your life right now. But if you are, accept that the fact cannot be changed. Only your response to the fact or the event can be changed. So adjust your perception and turn your negative situation into a positive. Now, how did Jujutsu show up in your life? Of course, everyone has a different answer. However, a lot of the responses of our guests have something in common. The UFC won with Hoist Gracie showing the efficiency of jiu-jitsu to the world, especially if you have been training since the 90s. The episode number three titled The Morning Routine of Successful Entrepreneurs is one of the most popular episodes of the podcast featuring Tim Crater. For those who don't know, Tim is a former UFC fighter, the first jiu-jitsu black belt from Louisiana, and the owner of Gladiator Academy with multiple locations in Louisiana. Check out how he started his jiu-jitsu journey. So uh, my father was a boxer. Uh, my father and I, we didn't really watch football or basketball or baseball. It really wasn't his thing. He was a boxer. He put me in martial arts. I wrestled as a kid. Um, by trade, my father was a chef, um, but he had a heavy combat sports background his whole life. Uh, he did martial arts. I have pictures of him when he's like, you know, 11 years old doing karate demonstrations, and he was just all into it, you know? Uh, so I remember, though, the big, 
my father and I never really watched the Super Bowl or anything like that together. But when Mike Tyson fought, I mean, like all the guys from the from the restaurant came over. There was a hundred people at my house. It was a big deal. And uh, I started working in my dad's restaurants at a young age, maybe 10 or 11. I was serving bread and boiling crawfish and uh, washing dishes. And so I was really good friends with all these guys. And I saw how hard they worked. They worked till three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, a lot of these guys were, you know, from all around the world. Like my dad had some guys from Africa that worked from with us from Nigeria and from uh, Ecuador and from all over the world. And so I got to meet a people from a lot of cultures and they were really hard workers. And I watched them really slave away in my dad's restaurants. But when we got together and we watched fights, it was almost like I saw a different person. Like they would stand on the chairs and they would just go crazy. And I remember thinking like, man, this is like, this is an incredible sport. And it was a way that I got to experience manhood and friendship and spend time with my father that just kind of inspired me. And my, my dad and his friends were also boxers. So they never down talked any competitor. Like they were always very kind about the guy who won and the guy who lost and talked about. So there was never any bad talk or any bad mouthing of anybody. And I I learned a lot of respect for the sport of boxing at an early age. My father put me in martial arts very young. And uh, I was lucky enough to train with a guy named Joe Ancona in New Orleans. We opened a restaurant in New Orleans. Joe puts on MMA shows still today. And he taught like hop keto mixed with judo and boxing. So he was kind of teaching us MMA when I was a little kid. I just didn't even really realize it. And um, one day my dad called me, <laughs> called me at my, my mother and father weren't together. My dad called me at my mom's house. And he said, Timmy, you have to come over. I said, okay, what's, what's going on? He said, Saturday night, there's this show on TV, and it's like a boxer versus a sumo guy. And there's some guy who looks terrifying, and he's fighting a kickboxer. You got to come to my house and see this. And it was like 92 or 93. It was the first UFC. I was maybe 14 years old. And um, I made my mom bring me to this house. I was so excited. And – we watched the UFC, the first UFC together in his living room, and we were dumbfounded. Like, we were confused. We were lost. We couldn't believe that Royce Gracie was doing this. We thought it was a sham. And uh, anyway, I started practicing jiu-jitsu uh, and UFC fighting in my backyard with my unsuspecting high school friends and showing them what a triangle choke was what arm bars were, and uh, I just fell in love with jiu-jitsu. And, you know, my father and my mother were great, but I really wanted to get out of there and find jiu-jitsu. And so I had a lot of great scholarships. I went to a good school, but I found the military and the Navy specifically could get me to San Diego, which I had found out through uh, MMA.TV that there were some jiu-jitsu schools out there. And uh, that was my the reason I joined the Navy. And so I joined the Navy and I found jujitsu about six months after uh, joining the Navy. Once I got to San Diego after boot camp, um, I found some jujitsu guys and I started training. And it's just been uh, a passion of my life ever since. You know, it really kind of sanded down a lot of rough edges in my life. I was a little bit wild of a kid and I was a little bit angry. And of course, jujitsu kind of took a lot of that and quelled my ego and sanded down a lot of my rough edges. And, you know, I would jujitsu a lot today. So that's really the, the, the core of my story. Uh, and I'm still doing jujitsu and teaching people jujitsu today. Now, how do you feel jujitsu relates to life? Very often people mention to me how they enjoy listening to the guest's response because each answer is so unique. However, the listeners end up resonating with a lot of the guest's answers. On episode 32 titled The Way of the Warrior, our guest was Pedro Valente. Pedro is the co-founder of the Valente Brothers Jiu-Jitsu Association. Pedro's father, Pedro Valente Sr., received his red belt directly from Helio Gracie and introduced his sons to Jiu-Jitsu. By the age of two, Pedro, along with his brothers, have begun taking private classes with Grandmaster Helio Gracie. 
He talked about the importance of mentorship, jiu-jitsu philosophy, and the Valenti Brothers' 753 Codes connection with the Way of the Warrior. Personally, this is one of my favorite episodes, and I hope you enjoy his answer to how jiu-jitsu relates to life. In every possible way. So in order to understand jiu-jitsu, what I usually tell my students when they first walk through the door is that they should understand what, what jiu-jitsu means, the etymology of the word. I remember when I was in school and I, would, I was about to start taking trigonometry and my father would always tell me, before you go in, Pick up the dictionary and look up the word trigonometry. See what it means. Then get the encyclopedia. At the time, there was no Google. <laughs> get the encyclopedia and look up the word trigonometry and read. And then when you get to the class, you already have, you're going to have an advantage because you already know what it means and you're going to be much more ready to learn the information that the teacher is going to transmit to you. So I want my students to understand the word. And jiu-jitsu is made of two Chinese characters, kanji characters. The first one is Ju, and the second one is Jitsu. The first one is also present in Judo, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu. And it means yielding flexibility. That's the, my favorite way to translate that character. Some people also use the, the, the word soft. Others use the word gentle. If you because these, these kanji characters, they're very, very profound and complex. It's usually difficult to use only one word from our vocabulary to be able to, tra- to, be able to, to explain these characters. But if you, if you combine softness with gentleness, with yielding, with flexibility, then you start understanding what it means. It means that you don't resist. It's the opposite of resistance. You take your opponent's energy and you use it to your advantage with maximum efficiency, with minimum effort to be able to achieve the best result. And jitsu means skill or art or technique. So it's the art of yielding flexibility. And so you asked me about life. This is one of the most important mental lessons that I learned in my life, which is to learn to accept things as they are the facts as they are in the present moment and not resisting things that already happened. This is jiu-jitsu. Because when somebody pushes you and you try to resist with strength, you're not doing jiu-jitsu. It's when you take that person's push and you direct that person's energy to throw them or to apply an arm lock, then you're doing jiu-jitsu. So in life, it's the same exact thing. When you learn to accept reality as it is and not to resist it, by being negative, then, in my opinion, you are using jiu-jitsu in life, and that's extremely important. If you are an entrepreneur, when did you have the spark to pursue your vision? This is the third question I'm going to share with you. There were so many inspired answers that it was hard to pick one, but the team decided the response of episode number six, titled Obsessed for Success, with the IBJJF Hall of Fame, Bernardo Faria. Bernardo is the co-founder of BJJ Fanatics, one of the world's leading instructional platforms for jiu-jitsu. Listen to how his vision of pursuing jiu-jitsu as a profession came about. Yeah, that, that was the biggest fight in my career. I think it was, was harder than winning the World Championships. I <laughs> bet. <laughs> I, I came from a family that I have two brothers. One is engineer and the other one is doctor, and I'm the youngest one. So my family was that very traditional family that, oh, you got to study, you got to go to high school, then you got to do a good college, then you got to get a job. It's always like that, right? And then... When I was like 14, I started Jiu-Jitsu when I was 15. By the end of 15, when I was a yellow belt, I was getting close to become 17 years old, right? And in Brazil, when you were 17, is the time that you got to study to go to college and decide what, what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So when I was like close to become 16, I was like, man, I got to think here what I'm going to do, right? Because mm-hmm. one year more, I'm going to need to go to college and this and that. 
So, and then in my mind, I had that already. I was like, no, man, I want to do jiu-jitsu. No, I love jiu-jitsu. I want to live for that. But uh, then when I told that to my parents, that was like the mm -hmm. biggest fight ever. You know? like, my dad didn't accept that. And my mom was almost like crying, like, oh, this is going to be, that's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then my dad, I didn't know if he would kill me or kill himself. There was two options there. And then I did the... Uh, what they call like vestibular, that's mm -hmm. like a test to go to college. And in Brazil, the public colleges are better than the private colleges most of the mm -hmm. time. It's very hard to get in. And then I actually got in for civil engineer in Brazil. And uh, so it's the perfect one, right? Because you don't have to pay. The college is very good, this and that. And then all my family is very excited. But then when I saw this schedule, it was like class from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Like, how can I do jiu-jitsu if I do that? You know, like I'm, I'm never going to be able to win any tournament if I do that. So I decided that I would not do that college, you know. Mm. And it was the one that you don't have to pay. It's the best one in my hometown, this or that. Then my dad freaked out, you know. He's like, how can you not do it? Blah, blah, jiu-jitsu never going to give you anything. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then it was a very tough time, you know. And I was like a teenager. I was in that age that you have all the doubts on your, on your head and this or that. And my two brothers, one was becoming doctor, the other one just became engineer. I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to be the dark one in the family, right? <laughs> and then uh, my dad, then I convinced my dad that I would not do it. And then he was like, okay, but you got to do something. So, so then there was a college nearby my house that was a private one, but was, was cheap. It was like $150 per month, $200 per month. It was, it was not ex that expensive. Mm -hmm. And it was business. And I saw this schedule and was classed from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. I was like, this I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would study from like 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. And then I would train from 12 to 2. I would go home, rest, and I would come back to school, lift to 8 from 5 to 6, train again 6 to 8. So I was able to handle everything, you know. And then I finished the college. And then also I finished the college. I went to Sao Paulo. And then my dad supported me a little bit. For one year, he kind of paid my costs in, in Sao Paulo. That was like apartment, food. And then after one year, I was already like making sandwiches and making my money and this and that. So by, by the end, when I was like the end of brown belt and getting the black belt, my dad supported me a little bit. But before that, was it always like that tough fight and it was always that double, you know, and I doing the right choice, you know, like, I don't know if this is going to turn on something, you know. Yeah, I understand because it's like Bernardo Wild, the rebel of the family. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I think this, this type of pressure is what made me work so hard, you know. Like, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Before the clip, I asked, if you are an entrepreneur, when did you have the spark to pursue your vision? Now, if you're not an entrepreneur, but you had a spark, but did not pursue your vision, why didn't you go after? I don't know what age you had the spark, but if, if you were Bernardo's age or not, what caused you to choose a different route? Lack of approval from your parents? Fear of failure? If Bernardo had listened to his parents, who knows, maybe he would have been making more money but one thing is for sure, he would be unhappy. There is no doubt they wanted the best for him. They wanted him to be successful. However, he had a different perception about the meaning of the word success. Now, what does success mean to you? Have you not been following your passion or dream because others don't approve your desire? If this question don't apply to you because you're already going after your goal, great, keep going. Now, if you're not pursuing your dream career, it's time to reflect because you only have one life to live. So make it a fulfilling one. Let's go to the fourth question. How was your mindset towards your vision at the beginning of your journey? On episode 15, titled Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, we had the six-degree black belt, Ricardo Liborio. Liborio is a former IBJJF adult black belt world champion. He is one of the original co-founders of the Brazilian top team, and the American top team. And currently, he is the CEO of Martial Arts Nation. He had a similar story to Bernardo of being the rebel of the family in a way. His parents did not approve of him leaving the corporate world to pursue jiu-jitsu. 
Listen to how his mindset was at the beginning of his journey, and I'll be right back to share with you the fifth question. Correct, correct about that. You know, I was, I had everything going on in terms of the corporate world. I was a manager in a bank and a great, great stable job who pays pretty well for, for Brazil standards. And, and everything was doing well, but I never loved that. I never loved working in the bank. I never were, I never loved that environment. I never loved the industry. Uh-huh. And, and I don't think I would never achieve greatness just for the fact that I, I do not believe what I was doing. You know, it was, it, it, it was great. I did not believe it. What I was doing, it was something to, in, in, you know, in communion with things that I, that I wanted to do, which is, I have a big pleasure. It's almost like a selfish desire of helping people and i feel good about it Mm -hmm. and not because i'm a saint not because i'm a super nice it's not about that it's just i feel good with the feeling that they left out towards me and i try to analyze this in this way so it's not just because oh i have this this angel's you know desire is a heart no man is is i like that feeling to help in the fulfillment i I, I have I take pleasure on that, take honor on that too. So I was not feeling that way. I was not helping a lot of people, maybe for some reason. And the environment itself, the, the not the corporate, it's not corporate itself, the banking environment, it's I saw a couple of things there that I didn't like it. I, I was raising to the martial arts. And the martial arts always was it was a face to face type of thing that if you don't like it you say something uh-huh. and you and you solve that and you you create a pair of balls and you actually stop talking on the back and and i didn't see that in that environment at least the bank that i was working on it was too many too many face to face guys how old were you um when i really decided to leave the bank i was 28 mm-hmm. I was 28 years old and i was a manager in a, in a big companies um, I was the manager of, of Xerox, IBM, uh, uh, um, a chain of hotels there called Autumn Hotels. And, and I just suddenly, you know, I, I really decided that this is, was not for me. I really can't do this. Just feeling suffocated, yeah. basically going to work and feeling suffocated that, man, I can, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. But you understand this. I had this love and passion for the mm-hmm. sport since I was 14 years old. I started when I started doing jujitsu. I knew it. That this was for me. The environment was for me. You know, it fit like a glove. Not just the sport itself. I I like it so much to train, and I love it so much when I competed and I, everything was doing well. I was winning everything. It came out really like a perfect glove for me. But. The environment, mm-hmm. my friends, all my friends were from jiu-jitsu. All the guys that I built up even to today, you know, the majority. And I went to school, I went to college. I don't have memory of that. My memory was I remember waking up 5 o'clock in the morning, be at De La Riva at 7, train at Carso at noon. After, after eating my lunch inside mm-hmm. the bank, hidden from everybody else so they don't see me, so I can go train. There is the spirit of time and come back at night and go, go for, go to college for a couple of hours there, do my classes in a couple of days of the week and go back to train. That's that of what I remember. I remember the days and going there three days, three days, uh, you know, three times a day. Sometimes mm-hmm. I remember clearly vividly of that. I don't remember my memories in a bank. I don't have much memories of, of my time in, in college. Um, which it, which I'm not saying that it was it was great that I lived that world of corporate, mm-hmm. and I understand a lot of things because of that experience. That's no doubt that helped me so much. But it was not my environment. Mm-hmm. It was not my passion, and it was not the place that I wanted to be. And 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 raise not just myself, but raise my family with that feeling. 
that that I could have accomplished more in other areas. And I, in one point there, um, I had an opportunity. This opportunity came up when a Carlson uh, invited me to compete at a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Nationals in '95. I competed in '95 and and I and I won, and I automatically got the spot to compete at the Worlds in '96. So mm -hmm. I competed in '96. But at the Worlds, I went there and I presented something to my the superintendent of the bank at the time. And I told him that, well, I have a plan here. I got a chance to compete at the World Championships. And if you just let me train for a month extra, because I, I have vacation time. Mm -hmm. It was 15 days. I took 15 days plus 15 days to to, to to train that they would allow me to do it. And I'll put a big sign of a bank of Brazil on my gi, and I think this is going to have a very good return in terms of image. And it did. It did because at the time, the World Championships was – was uh, it, it came out in a sport spectacular and, and all the sports, you know, sport TV, live. It came up with a great deal of media at the time and a lot of newspapers. And this is really, really was a great investment for, for the superintendent, which was a very open-minded guy mm -hmm. at the time. It was really thinking ahead of everybody else. So it just would cost me it was 15 days to, to, to let this employee go. And, and I trained my ass off, and I, I was able to succeed, and I won, and I, and I got this award of the most, the most technical black belt at, at the world. And all this came up to definitely – you know, to just justify what I was doing and, and really was a big boom in a whole entire community in Bank of Brazil. Mm -hmm. From there on, I thought, well, there's something here. You know, there's something here. It's going to be hard for them to find out another guy in my caliber inside of Bank of Brazil mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing. And so I can't, I can't use that. So at the time, Bank of Brazil had this program, uh, which is the, they launched this credit card for teenagers. Mm -hmm. Well, the parents could actually put the allowance inside this little account. And what a bank wanted with that is just create loyalty mm -hmm. of this new generation. Because usually, if you have a, a first bank account, you don't change much, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You open an account that's like me. I've opened an account at Bank of America here. I still have Bank of America to today. So they wanted me to work on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I put a project together. At the time, I was I get the sponsor. Remember, company. Mm -hmm. So you remember yeah, the company. Yeah. yeah, company's a brand of Loading. of a lifestyle, jujitsu and surfing and skating and everything. It's a big one in in Brazil, and I put the company together with the Bank of Brazil, and we started working and hitting all the schools in Rio. All the actually schools that they have the demographics that they wanted to mm -hmm. people that have money they can actually get the teenager credit card and we raised up a database of almost like a three thousand names and and emails and and all exactly what they needed they wanted to and it was a very successful program just what i was doing is just going to the schools and doing some demos and talking about uh this program with a num no, no to drugs and anti-bullying and stranger danger. All this, mm -hmm. all this, you know, all these programs combined, and it was a tremendous success at the time. So the bank was very pleased. Company was very pleased, and we and we achieved all. We break through the all the, you know, all the statistics and all the, all the levels of success mm -hmm. that they won in that program financially, marketing-wise, you know, and, and generate 3,000 new accounts for the Bank of Brazil. So they were extremely happy about that. And I worked in that project for quite a while mm -hmm. until Lula came in. Mm -hmm. Do you remember at the time? Mm -hmm. Lula came in. He's a former uh, Brazil president for people. Yeah, and he changed everything because the, the vice the president of the Bank of Brazil – is in a political position and it drops a new president comes in because of the new administration and the superintendent was given support of everything got out. And suddenly the bank just asked me to return. So they say, well, 
you've got to come back working, you know, nine to five, any office. And I, and I said, no, <laughs> there is no way that I can do this. But this is, was the most difficult time mm-hmm. there. That was the time that was extremely difficult for me because I was making good money. Mm-hmm. It's a very stable job. Um, and for the obvious reasons. And, and there was a career there. And my background is in business. So the family pressure was unbelievable. I imagine. Imagine that, you know. I was, I was 28 years old at the time. I was still relatively young. But I living by myself in my, in my apartment and everything. Suddenly, we go talk to my father about this. Say, man, I can't, I can't return. I can't go back. That this is not for me. I know, I know my calling. I know, you know, what I'm here for. I just can't do this. And he just absolutely gave no support at the time. It was really rough, you know. Just, just try to break through that. He was, and it was a guy who was always giving me support. He said, man, how are you going to do this? This is, this is, you're going to quit your your corporate banking job to work with jujitsu that's what you're telling me <laughs> and and imagine the stress that caused me that and but there was one moment of epiphany there there was a friend of mine that was talking to this guy he was actually a psychologist and i was talking to him and he says lebo let me let me ask you this you know why do you think you're not going to be successful outside the bank of brazil you're successful with your relationships. You're successful with your friendships. You're successful even in a bank that you don't like it. You still got a, you know, a management job. Mm-hmm. You're still successful. You're successful in your sports. You're successful with your family. There's so many things in your life that you're successful. Why do you think you're not going to be successful outside of a bank of Brazil? And I have that light bulb. Say you 100 percent right. Mm-hmm. That's my leaf of faith. There, I gotta believe. Why do I so scared of it? What had pushed me back? What had hold me back so much? And it's fear. Mm-hmm. But I'm so passionate about what I do, and passion in education. Because, like you said, you know, we're talking about this. You have to have the vision, and you have to have the mission, mm-hmm. right? You have to know the steps. You have to know the steps. You can't fool yourself. They just go there and and try luck. If you don't, you know, if you don't pass through the process of learning, you have to have some background. You gotta, you gotta put time. You gotta put time. You know, to 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 crop all this later. Mm-hmm. So if you if you do your homework and you know the process, you know that you that you're going from there, and you you're able to have that discipline that you're talking about. You know, in this resilience, emotional resilience, yeah, yeah, you, you, you gotta do it. You gotta do it because I really did not want it to be that old man that regrets so much mm-hmm. to invest everything in it. And you had a chance. I had a chance to do what I love. I had a chance to help people. There was no price tag on this. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I'm, don't, don't understand me wrong. There is a lot of things during the process that make you doubt the right yes, questions. Absolutely. But there is that resilience. Mm-hmm. There is that resilience. It's almost like in competition. Courage, does, it's not the absence of fear. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Courage is dealing with the fear is going to be there. Sometimes it's so big. Courage is knowing that you have to follow the path. You got to keep following the steps. It doesn't really matter what it is. Step after steps, when you see it, you're there. But the fear is going to be there. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what. You just got to keep doing it. You just got to, like I like to say, punch the clock. Mm -hmm. You got to punch the clock. You have the vision. That's it. Let's do it. And the moment that you decide to do it, Mm -hmm. it's just got to keep doing it. Just got to. Just got to work hard. Whatever comes to the place, there's going to be bad days. There's no way there's not going to be bad days. There's no way that you're not going to doubt something somewhere, somehow. You know what? Fuck it all. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Let's keep going.
Hopefully, Liboti was able to inspire you to keep feeling the fear and doing it anyway. As he said, courage is not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Always keep one thing in mind. If pursuing dreams were easy, everyone would do it. So make sure that you have the emotional resilience to face the difficulties because struggles and failures will happen. Let me ask you this. What was your biggest struggle and failure during your journey? Most importantly, what did you learn from it? To minimize the chance of making the same mistake again, which is the fifth question I'm sharing with you. During the episode five titled, Let Your Irritations Inspire You, I interview Pete Roberts. Pete is a black belt in jiu-jitsu and the founder of Origin USA. Origin has a 20,000-foot factory in Maine that produces an entire line of products, not just jiu-jitsu geese. Origin also sells supplements via Origin Labs and has its podcast titled Hands in Daylight. Pete has a great inspirational story and I highly suggest you to listen to the full interview. Now, he's going to share with you his biggest struggle and what did he learn from it. Check it out. My worst entrepreneurial experience uh, was definitely in my first business and I was a young kid, you know, 20, mid twenties or whatever, uh, had the, had the, you know, had the world by the balls. I felt, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're doing some great stuff and a coup, a coup happened and, uh, I didn't see it coming. You know, my employees, they, they crafted out a document kind of like for a hostile takeover of the business. And it was during the recession. They had no idea I had gone and taken out a line of credit to continue mm-hmm. making payroll. They had no freaking idea. And I, I maintained my composure. Instead, of, instead, my mistake was I should have been transparent with them about what was going on. But I was young, a little bit arrogant, and wanted to push through blindly. That's different. Pushing through with, with advisement and pushing through blindly. There's, that's, yeah, that's just insanity. Mm-hmm. So ult- ultimately, the worst experiences was that kind of coup and uh, them basically saying, hey, you do it our way or we're, we're taking the highway. And I scraped their desks into trash bags and I sent them packing, you know, mm-hmm. and I said, I said, it's time. It's time to shut down. And and I put myself in a really, really tough position where I had to sell all my all my possessions except for my home. We're able to keep that borrow a few hundred bucks here and there from my wife's parents or my parents, as I tried to salvage a piece of that company, which took a long time, salvage a small piece and sell a small piece of it off. Um, I'd say that was, that was the toughest. Uh, and what is the lesson behind what I can see of the lesson is because I listened to the whole interview. So you just, you gave like a quick version, whoever wants to learn more about should check out Jock, uh, Jocko's interview. So what is the lesson? I, I see the lesson of the leadership of like learning how to, to actually lead a team. Yeah. You know, so uh, I relate in different ways to, to the story and it's a really good one. The listeners should check out. But whatever lessons do you feel that you got from this experience? So many lessons. You can imagine. Oh, man. Uh, culture. Uh sharing that culture uh, and building that culture, you know, happens over time, you know, and having no fluff in your words, you know, your words, uh, every word that comes out of your face should have, should mean something, no empty words, you know, and honestly, I don't make empty promises mm-hmm. ever, empty promises ever. Hey man, when we're going to, we're, we're going to, you know, when we get to this point, you're going to get, or, or you're going to be able to, you know, like those, those things I, I try to stay away from. But if I give somebody my word on something, there better be follow through, even if it hurts me. And people would say that's stupid. You know, business people would say, you always take care of yourself first. Screw that, man. If my word is more important than my financial health. Uh, it carries weight and, and people talk and they talk behind closed doors. And when they leave the room or when you leave the room, 
What you want them saying is the same thing they're going to say to your face. So you better handle your business. You better handle yourself. Uh, and, and I'd say that that is rolled up into one that that's a, that's a big learning experience too. No, it's awesome too. I've been, uh, I listened to the audiobook extreme ownership with Jocko and it was awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's good that you have the realization, but some people could have gone to the same scenario that you did and not take any ownership. It'd be like, screw that people. Da, 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 da. This is, this is, you know, the way I do it or whatever. And you actually took the time to reevaluate what happened took the ownership and like, yep, need to make the adjustments. And it's not by accident that origins blowing up the way it is because you would not be where you at right now if you didn't go through that, you know, that mass back then, you know, so there was definitely a purpose. What would you say is one of your best high performance habits? Something that you do every day and has been helping you in all aspects of your life. This is the last question of the episode number 50. Now, who is the most consistent person you know? Is this person has been consistent for a very long period of time? If so, they probably believe that consistency is the key to success, which is the title of episode 17 with the fifth degree black belt and three-time black belt world champion, Vitor Shaolin Hibeiro. Shaolin is the owner of two successful schools in New Jersey and New York City and also the promoter of the successful Big Apple BJJ tournaments in New York and the most consistent person that I know in jiu-jitsu. The reason why I say this is because I have experienced his consistency since his teenage years until now as a 40-year-old husband and father of three in 2019. Besides being a personal friend, Shaolin has been my jiu-jitsu role model for many years and it was an honor to interview him. Check out his high-performance habit, and I will close this episode sharing one of my favorite final thoughts. There's one thing that we're talking earlier that actually links to the next question, which is a high-performance habit, which is what is the one habit that helps you in a progress in jiu-jitsu, business, and everything. And you mentioned about something which goes along with the little things that you do. You mentioned yeah. about you don't like to snooze. First, you start the day, you know, the alarm clock hit it, boom, you're up. Boom. Yeah, that's, the, that's probably, I think, my, my, that's my biggest one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I put in the clock, you know, to 6 a.m., you know, sometimes I even check, you know, how long. If it's 6 a.m. and then I, I, I hit the button right away, you know, normally going to be a good day. If in some point, you know what I mean, I stay a little longer, this is, this is not good. This is not good. You know, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe my body's too tired. But for me, like I always try to stay on the schedule. For me, if I hit, put, the, put the alarm for 6, for 7, for 8, for 9, for 10, whatever the time, as soon hits, I have to go up. So this, you know, it will be my first little step. Mm -hmm. to making sure all these small big things I set for the day, you know what I mean, I try to accomplish. And then sometimes people are always looking for big things. I want to have their car. I want to make their money. Mm -hmm. I'm not about that at all. Sometimes I'm all about to say I have to make five calls today for those five guys. You know what I mean? And sometimes I not say it'd be impossible to call to five people, but sometimes it'd be tough. Sometimes having the quality call you'd like to have. And I like when I'm able to do like, that can be all the way from training, you know what I mean? When you try, you know, putting the, the tournament together. So for me, those little things, but everything starts mm -hmm. with the alarm in the morning when I'm able to leave my bed as soon as the alarm hits. Well, and for the listeners who don't know much about Shaolin, it's definitely 100% true and accurate what he's saying, because I, I think it was maybe two years ago that I went to speak at your school, did a little mental skills training seminar yeah. maybe yeah. maybe it was two years ago two or three I think so, yeah two and a half and the night that wasn't a friday night on thursday i stayed at your house we probably went to sleep about close to 11 maybe mm -hmm. and you woke up i think at 3 45 yeah Thursday, and yeah. went to teach a private class i don't know whatever time was in new york and i stay i stay in i went there close to noon and we had the seminar basically you left that day i think it was 9 30 or 10 p.m that yeah, specific late. that was a long day it's dude a long day. like yeah. you were there 
all day long, but it's not like he's taking naps. I mean, he's being productive throughout the day. So that is pretty impressive. It's funny. It's not, sometimes people talk about their, you know, ah, wake up early, stay until late. But for me, you know, you know, that guy, I, I, you know, when, when I go in the morning to see this guy, it's a, such a cool time. You know, you know, when the guy wants to learn jujitsu, you know what I mean? Like I already used to, I know it's early, New York can be cold sometimes, but for me, you know what I mean? Having a chance today to do something I really like to do early or late, you know what I mean? At some point when you work with something you like, and then when you, when you share something with someone really wants to, really wants to learn from you, this is, this is, you know, I know the word's a little, this is priceless. This is like, mm -hmm. a, it's pretty mm -hmm. cool. And there's a reason. And at some point, maybe he's going to retire from his job and not going to go to the city so much anymore. But until the day he, he wants to go and train and learn from me, I'm going to get there with a big smile, 30 minutes before him, of course, because I have to get my coffee and mm -hmm. cool down a little bit and then try always deliver a great class. You know what I mean? I think that's like a, there's no change. And someone wants to work with me, someone wants to try hang with me, you know, slowly they have to get used to that. You know what I mean? I have people over here, they can handle, maybe, not, I don't know if you for a very long time, but you know, for me, I think it's very priceless to be able to share with Jiu-Jitsu with some good people here in New York. Now, as I mentioned before the previous clip, I'm going to share one of my favorite final thoughts. My favorites usually are the toughest ones to create the content, which forces me to research even more than usual. And sometimes I even read a book to create one audio from 7 to 12 minutes. The mission of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is to inspire, impact, and improve your life. And I take this mission very seriously, the same way you take yours seriously as well. Here are the final thoughts from the episode 32 with Pedro Valente, which I have mentioned today already. It was a great informative episode, and I highly recommend you to check it out, the full interview. Here it is. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Pedro Valente. If you're listening just to the final thoughts, Pedro, along with his brothers Guy and Joaquin, run a very successful association, the Valente Brothers Jiu-Jitsu. As you already know, I like to research after each interview to learn as much as possible to deliver a message that hopefully can inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way. And I have to say that this episode was one of my toughest ones so far because he gave such a great interview and I don't want just to repeat what he said. Now, with that said, I started researching about Bushido. I listened to the audiobook Bushiro, The Soul of Japan by Inazo Nitobi that he mentioned in the podcast to learn more about the samurai code. Wikipedia describes Bushiro as the Japanese collective term for the many codes of honor and ideals that dictated the samurai way of life. This book was written in 1899, which was one of the first major works on samurai ethics and Japanese culture written originally in English for Western readers, which is the foundation of the Valenti Brothers 753 Code. The 753 Code is a lifestyle and approach that helps us live a more balanced life physically, emotionally, and mentally. So if you'd like to know more about it, go to www.753code.com. Dot com. He did such an amazing job explaining that. I don't have much to add. Plus, you can research more content on Pedro. It was hard to choose one takeaway to share with you because there are so many good things to choose from. But I love when he said, go seek knowledge. Not necessarily about the Samurai Code, though. Anything related to personal growth. In order to do that, you need to read or read even more, which was one of his advice. Read or audiobook, whatever you prefer. Personally, I was inspired to research even more. As the way of the warrior, go seek knowledge. Go seek things that resonate with you and make a decision. Would you like to be a librarian of the mind or a warrior of the mind? What am I trying to say with this? There's a book called The Philosophy of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, subtitled Stoic Philosophy as Rational and Cognitive Psychotherapy by Donald Robertson. In CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, they are not just interested in the past. They want to know what you're doing with your thoughts and behaviors right now. Philosopher means 
lover of wisdom. Pretty much what the psychotherapist does right now, the ancient philosophers were doing over 2,000 years ago. Stoicism used to be the most dominant kind of approach to the art of living until Christianism. The philosophers were known as the physicians of the soul. Tim Ferriss, the author of 4-Hour Workweek, describes Stoicism as, quote, a fantastic operating system for thriving in high-stress environments. It's a framework for making better decisions and training yourself to be less reactive, unquote, which is a virtue of the samurai and the way of the warrior, self-control. In the book, Donald makes the comparison between the ancient philosophers and modern philosophers and describes them as the librarian of the mind and the warrior of the mind. The librarian of the mind seeks knowledge and focus on figuring out all the details, all the logics, and cataloging them, however, not actually practicing. The warrior of the mind, the lover of wisdom, was a practical philosopher, interested in applying all ideas in the arena of life, not just cataloging them. They executed on the new ideas and concepts that they knew that was the best for them. Now, how can you apply this warrior mentality of learning, being practical, and applying in the arena of your life? Let me ask you this. What is a practice that you know theoretically to be true, but you haven't executed on yet? Keep one thing in mind. Common sense is not always common practice. For example, if you read all the books about proper nutrition, you talk about it, but you eat junk food and donuts all the time, you're being a librarian of the mind. If you're going to seek knowledge, why not to live in congruence with the knowledge that you believe and know that is true? Is it easy? No, it's not. It takes practice. Self-control needs to be practiced daily so you can choose the warrior route more often than the librarian route. Let's be honest. Of course, there are plenty of moments in my life that I catch myself being a librarian of the mind in some area of my life. Knowing that I should be doing something else, however, for whatever reason, I'm not. All I can say is, I'm not perfect. And the good news is that you are not perfect either. For example, I have a morning ritual that includes to go over 20 questions for me to reflect and statements that I believe to be true in the morning. One of the questions is, are you being comfortable in uncomfortable situations? Still part of this question, I ask, are you facing your fears daily? Then I reflect. Personally, I do my best to live in congruence with what I believe. However, let's say one day for whatever reason, I let my anxiety take over. I wasn't present and caused me not to feel comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. Now, how would you handle when you realize that you're being a librarian of the mind? Would you be mad, frustrated, super hard on yourself? Here's the thing. If you catch yourself not living in congruence with something that you believe, the first thing is to congratulate yourself for being self-aware and catching the negative pattern on the spot. Then forgive yourself. Practice self-compassion that you lost your focus. You're a human being. And you're going right back in doing your best to be the warrior of the mind and to live in congruence with what you believe. To wrap up, Keep the way of the warrior in mind. Seek knowledge. Develop self-control. So when you come to the point that you need to make a decision, you can choose being the warrior of the mind, doing what you believe that is the right thing to do and opposite of the librarian of the mind. You might be asking, Gustavo, why did you specifically choose episode 32's final thoughts? Because if you are one of the BJJ Mental Coach podcast hardcore listeners who listen to 50 episodes, most likely you got a good amount of content from the guests and my final thoughts. Now, my question to you is, have you been utilizing the concepts that you believe you will benefit your business in or your life? Or have you been telling yourself, I should do that? Which means warrior of the mind or librarian of the mind? If you have been acting like a warrior of the mind for the most part, keep it up because if you're patient, you will see the results in your personal and professional life eventually. And if you have been a librarian of the mind, I'm going to share with you two suggestions. Number one, 
forgive yourself for being aware of the changes that need to be done and you're not doing so for whatever reasons you have. You're a human being and that is okay. Suggestion number two, start taking action right now. What is one concept that you have heard in one of the 50 episodes that you listen? However, you haven't implemented it yet. Today is a great way to start because, again, life is short. And the last thing you want to tell yourself at the end of your life is, I wish I had the courage to dot, dot, dot. You know exactly what the dot, dot, dot is, so make a decision right now. And as the motivational speaker Tony Robbins says, and this is one of my favorite quotes that I have shared with you before, it's in your moments of decisions that your destiny is shaped. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, but the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.